And all our hope is in him. Every last bit of our hope is in him. And, and perhaps you're here this morning wondering if there is any hope. And I can tell you this morning unequivocally that there is hope. There's great hope in the one that came to rescue us. His name is Jesus. We've been singing about him all morning. And we continue our series on our vision, our purpose, our response. And, and we continue that today by talking about our purpose and I want to share with you a, a story of an individual who truly had it all. He had everything. He had wisdom. He had financial resources. He had people in his life. He had everything. As a matter of fact, he, he had so much that at one time or over the course of his life, he, he wrote approximately 3,000 proverbs and over 1,000 songs. This man was, was an amazing individual. And as he considered purpose, as he considered what is life truly all about, he, he pursued that with an abandon. He pursued that with everything that he had. And he reached these conclusions, and, and, and he shares, it, shares this with us. And I want to share that with you now. He said this, I said to myself, come now. I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness, and what did pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guided me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and, <clears throat> and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs <clears throat> to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. Excuse me. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Solomon. Solomon wrote those words thousands of years ago. And yet, if you were to take a look at what's going on around us today, it seems to be the same thing today. People looking for purpose, people looking for something bigger, people looking and pursuing with, uh, with incredible enthusiasm, incredible zest, incredible excitement about finding what their purpose is, and yet they come up empty-handed so often. Read Ecclesiastes, and you'll see his, the struggle that he has. It's an ongoing struggle as far as why are we here, what's going on, what's important. 
And as you read through Ecclesiastes, it gets pretty depressing. But the great thing is this, that at the end of Ecclesiastes, he says this, Now all has been heard, and here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all humanity. After everything that he had pursued, after looking for purpose, after purpose, after purpose, his conclusion was this, was that all of us have a purpose, and that is this, to fear God and to keep his commandments. That's the purpose. And so this morning, as we consider that purpose, I invite you now to turn in your Bibles to, to Matthew 28, and we'll talk about that purpose. Solomon's conclusion was this, to fear God and obey his commandments. And yet Jesus Christ comes on the scene and he doesn't lay out many commandments. As we took a look at his biggest commandment yesterday or last week, which was love God and love people. That's our one message here. But now what do we do? How do we proceed? What needs to happen in our lives? What is that purpose? And Solomon says, remember your purpose is to fear God and to obey his commandments but yet, does Jesus have anything else to command? And we find that to be true in Matthew 28, looking at verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Father, we pray now as we come into this time of, of looking at your word, we would ask that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes that we may see, open our ears that we may hear, open our minds that we may understand and open our heart that we would be transformed so that as we go, disciples would be made. Father, we confess to you that oftentimes we don't make very good disciples. We look per for purpose in so many different things and we lose our way so easily. And so we would ask that you would have mercy on us and that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would use these next moments that we're together to remind us of what it means to be a disciple so that we can therefore go out and make disciples. Not based on our power, but based on you and your goodness and your spirit within us. So Lord, may no one hear anything that I say, but may they only hear what it is that you want them to hear and need them to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Jesus comes to this mountain, and, and he comes to this place, and these are the final words that, that he has for his apostles before he ascends. And he says this, he came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. As we talk about one purpose, we need to understand that that one purpose is given to us by one boss. By one boss, not me. Not Rob, not any of the elders, but by the one boss, he being Jesus Christ. He's the one, look at what he says here. He says, all authority. It doesn't say, I'll have a little bit of authority here. I'll have a little bit of authority there. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Now, what strikes me as Jesus is wrapping up his ministry to, uh, to the people, what strikes me is this, is that as you read Matthew's gospel, you remember this, that one of the temptations that Jesus Christ experienced, which can be found in Matthew chapter 4, is this. Satan comes up to him and says this. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow and worship me. And Jesus' response is this. Away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. What occurred to me as I was working on the message is this, is that, is that Satan presents him this amazing opportunity, the, uh, the kingdoms of this earth, and Jesus says, uh-uh, we're not going that route. Because he understood this about Satan, and it's true today. Satan's offers always under-deliver. He may offer you the world, and he did to Jesus. But Jesus knows this, that there's a much bigger authority that he is to be about. It's not just an authority on earth, it's an authority that comes into heaven as well. He says this, all authority in heaven and on earth. Imagine if Jesus had taken Satan's suggestion or temptation and said, yeah, I'll go that route. So often Satan wants us to think that he has our best interest in mind. It looks really good, but Jesus Christ says, don't fall for it. Look for the big picture. Look bigger and bigger and bigger because Jesus Christ isn't about having authority on earth. He's about having all authority in heaven and on earth. And in Matthew's gospel, this encounter that we're looking at for the next number of minutes is this. This is the first encounter that the apostles have with Jesus since the crucifixion. The last time they saw him, the last time they saw Jesus, for many of them, it was before he even went to the cross. Because if you remember correctly, in the, Garden of, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they came after Jesus, what happens? All the disciples, except for a few, fled. And then we have Peter's infamous meltdown. Everybody leaves him. And so for them, in Matthew's gospel, what he wants to drive at is this, is that these guys have now received another opportunity. And I don't know about you, but there have been countless times in my life where I've blown it. Where I wonder if Jesus Christ has just said, you know what, I've given you enough opportunities. But here's the reality. Jesus Christ always has grace, and he always says, I'm not done with you yet. We're going to keep moving forward. We're going to keep pressing on. And what strikes me is Solomon had greater wisdom than anyone else, and he couldn't, he couldn't quite figure out his purpose because he looked all over the place. And then he concludes that it's fearing God and obeying his commandments. And I compare Solomon's wisdom to the knuckleheads that Jesus Christ had with him. Let that sink in. He took these guys that had been rejected by the, by the Jewish leadership and said, these guys cannot cut it. And Jesus Christ takes these guys and he says, you're the guys that are going to help change the world. The reason why is because they understood their purpose. 
they understood what it was all about. Everything was getting very focused, and Jesus Christ had their attention. Is it possible this morning that the reason why you're here in this room is because Jesus Christ is wanting to grab your attention? Is it possible that he's trying to say to you, there is a greater purpose than what you're doing right now? Because these guys are sitting there, and they all, they were fishermen, and they were a variety of other, they had other occupations, but now they realize this guy rose from the dead. I think we need to pay attention. It's part of the reason why every single Sunday I say he is risen and we respond with he is risen indeed. The reason why is because so often we forget that Jesus Christ has conquered everything that's come his way. And we need that reminder that he's conquering and he's moving with us as we go through life. So he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he says this in verse 19, he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we have one boss. He's the one that has authority. And now we realize we have one purpose. And that purpose is this. Therefore, as you go, make disciples. I want you to look more closely at that. Because notice that Jesus says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. And in the process of that, he's in essence giving a summary statement of all that he's done. They'd seen him perform miracle after miracle. They'd seen him walk on water. They saw him feed a bunch of people with five loaves and two fish. They saw blind people seeing. They, they had mute people able to, to speak. They had deaf people able to hear. Lepers were cleansed. They saw all of this. And he says, it's because all authority. I have all authority. And then he says this, therefore go and make disciples. There is an assumption on Jesus' part. I call it the Jesus assumption. And this is the assumption. That you will share this great news. That's his assumption. He assumes because so many things have happened in his name, so many things that they've seen, he says, how can you keep this great news to yourself? Some of you, many of you in this room have had your life rescued by Jesus Christ. You were heading down a path of destruction and all of a sudden, boom, it hit you, something's not right. And you were rescued. Some of you have, have, have participated in Celebrate Recovery Ministries and, and you've participated in a men's ministry or women's ministry or Bible study and somewhere along the line, God said, I love you, I've forgiven you, trust in me and you said, I'm gonna trust. I'm gonna trust in you and your life was radically changed. And Jesus assumes that you're gonna share that great news with others. But here's the reality, and it's a quick question. Do we? Do we? After our lives have been radically changed, oftentimes it seems to me that we get very comfortable and we forget what's going on here. 
We forget that our lives have been so changed that God has called us to go out and make a difference. A good friend of mine by the name of Andy Costello, I'm going to put this up there on the screen. He said this to me one time. He said this. If you Christ followers have the greatest message, then why do so few share it and live it? He said that to me a number of years ago. It cut me to the core. It cut me to the core because all of a sudden it began to focus, I began to realize, am I sharing this message of Jesus Christ? Am I living out this message of Jesus Christ? Or am I simply just going and doing whatever? Have I forgotten my purpose? So as you take a look at your life, those that proclaim to be a Christ follower, can people see it? Can people, have people heard it? Because this gospel message, this gospel message changes people's lives forever. It just does. And I want you to notice something also, and it's in verse 19. He says, therefore go, and we want to focus on the going, but the command isn't to go. The command is the next phrase, make disciples. That's the commandment. The commandment isn't to just go and and do whatever. The commandment is as you go, make disciples. That's our purpose. There is no greater purpose out there. I don't care what your job is. I don't care if you're retired, a grandparent, a parent, a, a single mom, a single dad, whatever the case may be. I don't care if you're a student, whatever the case may be. Wherever you are in life, your purpose is the same. Make disciples. That's what we're to be about. But it seems to me, at least as I take a look at my own life, it seems to me that I get caught up in a whole lot of things that aren't all that important anymore. And yes, I would even say my passion for football is really not that big of a deal. I need to be, and I know some of you are going, oh my gosh, he's really preaching now. Um, But we're called to make disciples. That's the commandment here. Wherever we go, as we go, we make disciples. So we have one boss, we have one purpose, and now I need to do something that I do quite often, and I need to go on one tangent. And here's the tangent. To be disciples, we need to remember that we ourselves are disciples. We need to remember that all the time. And I'm going to give you a two-word discipleship crash course, and it's this, get dusty. What do I mean by this? There's going to be a, a quote that comes up on the screen, and it says this, Let thy house be a meeting house for the wise, and powder thyself in the dust of their feet, and drink their words with thirstiness. What's that driving at? Back in Jesus' day, as rabbis were teaching, they would teach, and and keep in mind, as they were going, they were making disciples, so their students would be following them. Their students would be following them, and the gist of this quote is this, be so close to your rabbi that as the dust is kicked up by him walking, that you get covered in his dust. We need to get dusty. We need to be so close as we continue our lives as we go that we get dusty 
And some of you on the comment cards that uh, when we were talking about when I invited you to, to do some evaluations of the messages from 2018, some of you said this, could you give us some practical stuff? And so I'm going to get practical right here. Here is a way, not the way, it's a way to get dusty. Number one is this, you need to carve out time. You need to carve out time. What do I mean by this? You need to have intentionality. I don't know where that time is, but you need to be focusing in. As you go through life, you're focusing in on what does God have for me in this? And what am I, how am I to be a disciple in this? But also carving out time to spend time in his word. So here we go. The next thing is this. After you carve out time, spend some time praying, saying, Lord, I want to sit at your feet. I want to be with you. I want to learn more about you. So please speak to me through this. And then spend time reading. And this is, this is what I, this is, this is my approach. It's this. Spend time reading a chapter out of the Old Testament. Spend time there and, 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 and yes, and, and, and that, yes, I'm very serious here. Even if it means going through Leviticus for crying out loud. And let's be honest, who wants to read about mildew and all that other stuff? But spend a time, spend time looking at a chapter, and not just picking a chapter, but reading it orderly. Reading it orderly, taking a chapter one here, then chapter two there, ch chapter three. So read a chapter out of the Old Testament, then read a psalm. The reason why is because the psalms, if you want to talk about authenticity, the Psalms are filled with some of the most authentic life experiences in all of the Bible. And as a matter of fact, post-Easter, we're going to be doing a whole series on the Psalms and what that means and what that looks like. But take some time, read a Psalm. And then if you want to get to know Jesus better, there's no better place to go than to read a Gospel, read a chapter out of the Gospel. It makes no sense if we're, going to be a, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus Christ, if we're not taking time to spend time reading, reading a chapter out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, then we're not getting to know the main person that we're to be following. So take a time, take time and read a gospel. And then lastly is this. Work your way through a book of the New Testament, a chapter of a New Testament a day. Why do I have this comprehensive look? It's because we are to be people about the entire Bible, not just a portion of the Bible. All of God's Word matters. The Old Testament matters. There's, there's some schools of thought right now are just saying, listen, do away with the Old Testament. We're in New Testament times. I'm not of that camp, and I don't believe many people in here are. All the New Testament writers quote Old Testament people. Therefore, it makes a whole lot of sense to understand the scope of God's Word. And if you have questions, write them down. Shoot me an email or shoot someone else that you respect and, and believe that they know what they're talking about. That came out arrogantly. I'm sorry. I might not necessarily always know what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is I want to answer your questions as best I can. But spend time in God's word, and I invite you now to flip a few pages to the right and go to Acts chapter 4. Jesus Christ is no longer on the scene. 
The apostles are doing what they're doing and they're making inroads and they're sharing the great news about Jesus Christ. As they go, they are making disciples. And we come to Acts chapter 4. Peter and John have, have brought a healing into, into a person's life and they get in trouble for it. And so the, the religious establishment says you need to knock that off and Peter and John respond and say we're... We're, we're doing what we need to do. And then we come to verse 13 of Acts chapter 4, and listen to this. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. In essence, they noticed that these people were dusty. They wanted to grill these guys. They wanted to ridicule these guys. But what shook them to the core was the amount of courage that Peter and John had. Not because they were well-schooled. Notice it says that they were unschooled, ordinary men. In essence, they were not the sharpest tools in the shed. Yet they could not get away from the fact that these guys had such courage and they realized the conclusion the conclusion they reached was this was that they had been with Jesus folks part of all this reading and and part of praying and part of part of as we go is we are to be constantly interacting with Jesus that's how we get dusty that's how we get dusty. That's how people can, can sense that there's something bigger going on in our lives, that there is purpose to what we're doing. When was the last time you got dusty? When was the last time that you sat and interacted with Jesus Christ? When was the last time that as you went, you were realizing that Jesus Christ was going with you? When was the last time that your purpose was so focused in, so lasered in, that all of a sudden you're going, wow, I understand why I'm having some issues at work now. I have an opportunity to represent Jesus Christ. Why am I having these issues with my family? I have an opportunity to infuse that situation with God's grace. You see, Jesus Christ doesn't simply say, I'm leaving you alone. He says, I've given you what you need, all authority has been given to me. And then he says this, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. All nations is this, is this word that, that it's, it's a word called ethne, and, and it talks about all types of different people groups. And so wherever you are, you're encountering all nations. You're encountering people. Whether it's on the beach whether it's at the supermarket, whether it's, 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 it's picking fruit or, or doing whatever, wherever you're meeting people, that's what he's talking about here. His, his gospel is to go everywhere. It's to permeate everything that we do. And then he says this, and the, the next thing that's going to happen is as you go and make disciples, here's what's going to happen. You get to baptize them. You get to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I want to take a moment right now because I realize in this, in this room right now there could very well be people that have never taken that step 
of saying yes to Jesus Christ. They've been asking for God to help them, and they've experienced some change in their life, and now they've come to a conclusion where they say, I need Jesus. And if you're that person right now, now's the time to say yes to Jesus Christ. He's the one that rescues. I don't care what your past is. I don't care. He doesn't. He, he, he died. He paid the price for that so that you could experience his forgiveness. So, Father, we pray right now. We pray right now that your Holy Spirit will be moving in such a way that those who need you, and frankly, Lord, all of us need you, but for those who have not said yes to placing their trust in you, Lord Jesus, we would ask that they would say yes to you. That they would realize that their sins have been forgiven. That there is real hope. That there is real freedom. And that they would say, you're my Lord, Jesus. And for all of us in this room, I pray that we would realize that we have a great purpose and that we would be your instruments of sharing your news with other people. And perhaps they're sitting right next to us. So Lord, do your work. In Jesus' name, amen. We're not done. Some of you are going, good, we're out of here. We're going to the restaurants. Um, But he says baptizing, and what he's talking about here is this, is that a baptism is the outward demonstration of an inward reality, meaning something's happened in your life inwardly where Jesus Christ has come in, and now before, before, the, before people, you are to say, I identify that he is my Savior. If you're interested in being baptized, please see me after the service and we'll talk about this. We'd love to, love to participate in that. But Jesus is very clear here. And then he doesn't stop and he picks it up and he keeps going and he says this, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We have one boss we have one purpose, we, uh, we went on one tangent, and now we come back to this. We have one presence that is with us always. Because we have this one presence, we can live out this one purpose. Because his teaching is our teaching. His teaching is what informs the way we go in life. It's his teaching that says, you need to forgive others as I have forgiven you. It's his teaching that says, if you want to be great, you need to serve. It's his teaching that becomes our teaching. It becomes the very, the very, uh, the very presence of, of, of what he's doing in this world. And his presence, and I love this. He says, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, which goes back to the point of we need to get to know the Gospels. We need to get to know what he's saying there. And then he says this, everything I've commanded you, 
and surely I am with you sometimes. And those situations in life that are get really hairy, I'm not into those. No, he says, surely I am with you always. And always means always. Good times, bad times, in between times, he is with you. That's awesome. It means when things are not going well in my life, when I'm experiencing some type of difficulty, he's with him. It means when I'm having one of the greatest times of my day on a Friday and I'm playing golf and it's glorious and it's wonderful, he is with me. And it means those times when things are just, eh, he's with me. We do not have a moody God. We have a consistently good God who never lets us down. Never lets us down. His presence is an ever-present reality for us. And because of that, it goes all the way back up to verse 18. His presence gives us courage because all authority is resting with him. He's the one that gives you the authority. When things are not going well, he's the one that says, this isn't going to beat you. I am with you. I'm going to keep moving forward with you. He's the one that says, as you go, make disciples. The reason why we can do that is because he's with us. Not because we're great, but because he is greater. And his presence is essential for us to carry out our purpose. Without his presence, we lose sight of his purpose. And that purpose is to go and make disciples. One last quote. It's a, prof- it's a, it's a powerful quote. It says this, The life and death of a church depends on how much its members are willing to proclaim the gospel to the world. If its ministers are satisfied with performing their functions and counseling religious people, if its members confess their faith as far as it is socially acceptable, the church will grow more and more into a sterile institution that is far from the living church of the New Testament. We are to be alive. Why? Because the gospel makes us alive. Because God's grace makes us alive we go and make disciples we go and make disciples because the news that we have is what this world desperately needs i don't know how far we are into this government shutdown government isn't the answer corporations aren't the answer making money is not the answer The answer rests in the grace of Jesus Christ. It's a message that made a difference back then. It's a message that makes a difference today. And it is our one purpose. There is no greater purpose than that. I invite you. I invite you. To live out that one purpose each and every day. Wherever you may go, whatever you may be doing, may you be living out that one purpose that says, 
or making disciples. Because Jesus Christ has made me a disciple. And now I get to make disciples in his name. Father, we pray. We pray that you would help us live out this one purpose. Lord, I know this to be true, that it's scary. We don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. And so I ask that you would remind us that all authority has been given you on heaven, in heaven and on earth. And that you would remind us of that and that you would fill us with that confidence. That we would be like Peter and John. We might not know all the answers, but people would say, they've been with Jesus. They're dusty people. Break through our fears, our anxieties. And Lord, for those of us in this room that are pursuing after so many different purposes and, and getting more and more frustrated, more and more agitated, and more and more empty, Lord, may you, may you intercept our lives and remind us of our one purpose. That purpose that says to, as we go, make disciples. Whether that's in our job, our family, our neighborhoods, we're driving, wherever. We ask that you would penetrate our lives so that we would be the disciples you desire us to be. And so that others would come to know you in the process. And Lord, for those in this room that are wondering if you'll accept them as a disciple, break through their doubts, break through their fears, and remind them that you you're the one that says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Move in our midst, Lord, in a great way. And may we live lives. May we live dusty lives that impact the lives of those around us in such a way that your kingdom continues to expand, that your reign continues to expand in a cold, dark world. Use us and lead us and change our lives and help us as we live out our one purpose. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I invite you to stand now. The, uh, as we get ready to worship a couple more song, worship with a couple more songs, and and may we um, may we sing these out. And and Heidi and I were talking about how we're going to wrap this up. And these songs have some poignant messages.
for us, a reminder of who Jesus Christ is, a reminder of what he's done for us. And as we hear these, may we sing with great boldness.